0: I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 14. Just hold the place there. And I want to set this thought of introduction. I believe that God rejoices in the prosperity of His children. I think He wants to prosper us. I believe that God wants us to succeed. God wants to bear witness to an unbelieving world that he is able to meet the needs of his people. And when his people prosper and are successful and give God the glory for it because it belongs to him, then he gets, he has borne witness to the world that there is nothing that is beyond his ability to provide. God wants to bear witness to an unbelieving world that he is sufficient to meet the needs of man if you want to remember something try to remember that the prosperity and success of God's people are a testimony to God's ability now if you'll read with me chapter 4 verses 14 and following nevertheless Philippians, by the way. does help to know which book we're in. Philippians 4, 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You're the only one that really met my needs. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Isn't that a marvelous spirit? But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am prosperous, he's saying. I am, I am amply suvi- supplied, having received from Ephaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's say that together. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now I want to give you, uh, in what by way of introduction, some basic principles, and I'd like for you to get these down. I have a feeling that I won't get through this message at all, and so I, want to, I don't want to get in any hurry, okay? I want to give you some principles by way of introduction. Now, while you're getting your paper, listen to this definition of prosperity. Prosperity is not necessarily riches. A person can have riches and not be prosperous. Prosperity is having every need supplied and having the capacity to enjoy it. Prosperity is having every need supplied and having the capacity to enjoy it. Now a guy could like pizza, and have this whole church building full of pizza, and have a bad stomach and couldn't eat it, and he wouldn't be too prosperous. Prosperity is having every need supplied and the capacity to enjoy it. Prosperity is the ability to move God, the ability to move God into action at the point of my need. Now, I made this definition or statement at another gathering and kind of offended a young uh, seminary student. He came up to me and said, I don't go along with that at all. I said, that's all right. We, We, you know, no problem. I believe that prosperity is the ability to move God into action at the point of my need. For I believe... That God is committed Himself to meet the needs of the believer. Can I say that again? Because I don't guess that registered. I believe God has committed Himself to meet the needs of His people. As a matter of fact, He committed Himself to meet our greatest need as He gave His own Son for our salvation. And Romans says that if God will do that, what will He not do? So prosperity is having every need supplied. Now it may be riches. It may be success financially. It may be that and it may not be that. But it is the ability to move God into action at the point of my need now some principles number one the pathway of prosperity is paved with the promises of God now if you have your Bible handy I want to show you something now there's no way you know that we can deny this this is just biblical Turn to Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, Joshua 1 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now look at this. This is God's promise. This book, you meditate day and night, and you want to live by the principles and the teaching of this book. And then he says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now the promise of God is that we keep this book and we meditate on it and it's central in our life and the promise is we shall be prosperous and successful. Now turn over to the first Psalm, Psalm 1. We'll work our way back through the scripture. Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsels of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, And its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Now get this. It means that when a man lives by the principles of God, he and his schoolwork will prosper. It means as a parent in his family, he prospers. It means in his business and in his vocation, he prospers. It means in his relationships with his fellow man, he's successful and he prospers. He's like a tree that bears fruit, whatever he does. Whatever he does, he prospers. Now, I didn't make that promise, God did. Now, I want you to turn over to Proverbs chapter 3, the third chapter of Proverbs. honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. You give God what is His. You be steward of what you possess. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. These are the promises of God. And I submit to you that the path to prosperity is paved with the promises of God. Secondly, the pathway to prosperity is paved with the problems of man. Is paved with the problems of men. Now I want to suggest some of these problems that are on the pathway to prosperity. Number one has to do with some erroneous concepts concerning prosperity. For example, some people people tend to believe that poverty is next to godliness, that if you're poor, you're spiritual. That's not true. I know some folks tonight who are poor and have more pride than than, than the rich man. There is another erroneous teaching, that is, that to be wealthy is sinful. A guy came into my office recently. He's very prosperous in his business, and we talked about this very thing. I can tell that he's feeling guilty because he's successful financially. And somehow we've given the impression from the pulpit and the lectern that if you're wealthy, you're sinful. If you have money, if you have riches and abundance, you're not right with God. That's erroneous and false. There is another erroneous teaching that is that there is happiness in the accumulation of wealth. There is no happiness in the accumulation of wealth. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses young man came into my office in Fort Worth. His father, a member of our church, wealthiest member probably in our church. This young boy is having all kinds of problems, problems with his parents, problems in every way. And he talked to me about his father and his mother's wealth, and this is what he said. There is no amount of money that can make me happy. As a matter of fact, I wish my father was totally broke. There is no happiness in the accumulation of riches. That's a, tr- that's a false tr- false teaching. There's a second problem that is, paves the pathway to prosperity, and it's this, that men begin to fall in love with money. I want you to flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many a pang, the problem of the love of money. Problem three is the desire to get something for nothing. I think that that um, most of what we are hearing today, our whole economic structure may be s- established on this: that you that you try to get everything you can for nothing. The fourth problem is the enslavement of debt. For the whole advertising industry is directed to get you to be dissatisfied with what you now possess. I was flying one day somewhere, I don't remember, and I, was, uh, I saw one of these little magazines, this statement, How to Travel Farther Than Your Own credit card will carry you. And that's just about what most of us have gotten into. We've flown further than our credit card will carry us. Principle number three. The pathway to prosperity is paved with the principles of scripture. Now I don't want to, that sounds like number one, I don't want to get into this too much tonight, and I don't have time, but I just want to suggest two of them, two references to look up, 3 John verse 2, and third John verse 2 suggests this truth, this principle, that financial problems are oftentimes spiritual problems. I want to speak to that just a minute with regard to the church. I have never yet seen a church with financial problems. I have seen churches with spiritual problems that manifested itself in the lack of resources. But you get a church that's doing what God wants that church to do, and it never has a financial problem. And I want you to know this truth that in this spirit of revival that we're experiencing in our church at this time, we are financially abundant in this place. We are putting money in the bank, really, and God is blessing us financially because we are experiencing a spiritual revival. There is no such thing as a financial problem in any church. And also I must say this that if a person is having financial problems in his own life it may be, I didn't say it why, but it may be related to a spiritual problem in his life. He may not be following the principles of God. And the second principle that is found in the scriptures that does, has to do with number three is Luke 6.38, and Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now the principle is this, that if you have a need, and I'm going to talk about this in a whole whole sermon, it's going to deal with this. If you have a need, the way for that need to be supplied is to give of that need. Watch this. Give and it shall be given to you. Let's say for example tonight that you're having a problem having enough time for your week. Do you know how to get more time? By giving more time. Isn't that strange? Only God could think of that. Are you having problems financially? You know what the solution to that problem is? To give more. You say, well listen, I'm having a problem giving as it is. The solution to that problem is to give more. Are you having a problem in relationship as far as love is concerned? and you having a problem at home maybe with parents? We talked about that this morning. You know how to get, you know how to get love by giving more. Give and it shall be given you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's a principle from God's word. So that the best way, To prosper is to give up more. That's a strange but biblical principle. And we'll deal with that more later. And the fourth uh, principle concerning prosperity is that the pathway to prosperity is paved with planning for the future. Now what has happened to me tonight is what I feared would happen. The introduction took all the time. I've got five minutes I just want to kind of introduce what I want to deal with next week. Now back to the text, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Let me give you the circumstance of this text. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and the little church, struggling church, took up an offering for him and met his financial need. And out of his appreciation for what they did, he wrote this epistle, this portion of the epistle, he wrote concerning their response to his need. Now, what they did for him was not, probably was not a lot as far as coinage was concerned, but it had a tremendous impact on his life and he was deeply grateful for it and the gratitude that paul felt for the philippians was not in the fact that they gave him and met a need financially in his life but the fact that they were going to receive the blessing from it for this truth is found everywhere in god's word this truth that the gift always supplies the giver. Haven't you found that to be true in your own life? The gift always supplies the giver. Now it supplies the receiver to be sure, but the abundance of the supply is always to the giver. God has established his plan of economy on this, that when we give, we receive. And one of the strangest paradoxes in all of God's word is that when you give up your life, you find it. When you lose your life, you discover it. For the gift always supplies the giver. Now, Let's just suppose tonight that we wanted to have a church that bore witness to the resources and the wealth of God. Then the way to accomplish that would be to have a church full of givers in the spirit of the Philippians, for the gift always supplies the giver. Now let me look quickly with you at the source. I want to just do that, then I'll quit. The source of the supply. My God shall supply all your need. The the source of your need and mine is God. Well, listen, I, I don't know whether we really are hearing it or not, the source of your need, the source of the supply for your need is God. Now, watch this. We need to believe that, and it needs to grip us. Now, your job that you have is not the source of the supply of your need, it's a means it's a means to the supply it's a means it's a form of income your job your vocation is not the source of the supply God is the source and your job is a means to that end it's a form of income but it's not the source now what happens to us when what you know what we do we put our eyes on the form of income we put our eyes on the means so that when we lose our job, we go into a tailspin. We, we panic. We wonder what's going to happen. Or when we begin to get old and we don't, we're, we may not be able to maintain our job. Or when inflation comes, what do we do? We panic. We worry about it. We talk about it. Listen. The economy as we know it, your job as you know it, is not the supply of your need. God is that supply. That needs to grip you and control you. Now, what determines what we do as a church? What determines it? Most of the time, what determines what we do as a church is how much money we've got to do it. We've been sitting back there getting ready to formulate the new budget. And and, and most of what we do, we do on the basis of how much money we've got. If we don't have the money to do it, we can't do it. What determines where you live? What determines what you spend, what you have? I tell you what determines it. How much money you've got? Can you afford it? Now this is a radical and strange statement, but I'm a radical and strange guy. And this is a radical and strange approach, God's approach. What determines what we do and where we live and what we have as a church should not be, if we can afford it or not, should be God. Does God want us to do this? Does God want us to have this? Is this God's will? Is it His mind? We can't afford it. Yes, we can. God is the source. God will supply. If God demands it of us, any demand or command of God is at the same time the promise that we can do it. God's word says for you to tithe, that's at the same time a promise that you can. If God commands that you witness, that's the same, at the same time the promise that you can. If God wants you to, as a church to prosper and to launch out on new ministries, that's at the same time that's God's promise that we can. We find the mind of God because He's the source of the supply. And how I'd long to pastor a church that just comes together on its knees old and young alike, not young folks in the budget meeting, not old folks necessarily, old and young alike coming together on their knees and determining this is the will of God for us and we're going to trust Him for the resources. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that? Huh? You bet. Now what do we know about the source? We know three things about the source. We know, first of all, that He is omnipotent, that He can supply. The whole Bible is an unimpeachable record of the ability of God to meet any need. Can I say it again? The Bible is an unimpeachable record of the ability of God to meet any need which exists in the world. Corey ten Boom was right when she said, there's no hand wringing in heaven. The power of the promise rests upon the ability of God, and He is omnipotent. He can do all things. We know a second thing about Him. We know that He's omniscient. That is, He knows about the need. There are no surprises with God. Every need you have tonight, God already knows about. He knows about your need. Now, there's a difference between the needs and the wants. Can I give you those right quick? The need is what you must have in order to live in a lifestyle that God has ordained. It's what you must have to live a lifestyle in a lifestyle that God has ordained. Now, I know some godly people tonight who are very wealthy. They are extremely wealthy. I believe that God has ordained that they live that kind of lifestyle. I had a guy tell me one time, he was 28 years old. He said, I feel this is of God. I, I, I believe it. God has ordained for me a life of extreme wealth. And I thought, well, you radical, you, you you, crazy. But you know, there might be something to that. Do you believe God wants to supply our wants? Sure he does. I've had, I've had people say, well, he'll supply our needs, but he won't supply our wants. Why won't he? Do you want your children to have just what they need to get along and live? No, you want them to have their wants. I do, and the kids come. My little girl said one time, I've got him wrapped around my my little finger talking about me. That's just about right. Whatever they want, that's what I want them to have. Is God any less than we are? And we know a third thing about it is that God is omnipresent. That means that God is in this thing with us, and when we prosper, He prospers. I've got to stop there for the, because of time and bring this to an end. Now, I hope you don't despair and give up on this, because we're talking about some things maybe you've not thought of or heard but oh how I want us to capture the spirit of the fact that God wants us to be successful and prosperous and victorious and He wants us to live in a manner that bespeaks His ability to supply. And isn't it tragic that we are not living in a manner that bespeaks his ability to supply. If someone were to look at your life, I'm not talking about how much money you have, but if someone were to look at your life and see how you're getting along as far as being filled full in every way, Would it give testimony to the adequacy and sufficiency of God, or would it say, hey, your God is not able to provide? I want us to bow our heads. Father, I thank you that in your gracious love you have agreed to be the source of our supply. And Father, as we are aware tonight that there is nothing in this earth that we will ever need that you will not supply. It gives us tremendous freedom. And as we approach, as we move as a church toward that great challenge of what God wants of us, and we dare to step out on faith and say, this is what God wants for His people. So he can get glory. And there is no human way to accomplish it. Humanly impossible. And then to see you pour out your blessing upon us. And open up heaven. And pour out the supply. So the unbelieving world would look and say. What a great God those people have. Lord, we want to be a testimony to the adequacy and sufficiency of your power and grace. And so keep us mindful of that need tonight. We pray for response now so your church can flourish and grow and reach out. Give us, Father, the supply. For our need here, you know what we need. You know the gifts and talents this church needs. So add to it tonight. Bring to this fellowship, place here the lives you would have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name.